We're in this last of our sermon series this morning called You Were Made for This. And a few weeks ago, back in the day when I was in jeans and a a regular shirt, um, I shared this quote with you from Mark Twain, who said, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day that you find out why, or the day you figure out why. Uh, Because we believe when you're doing what you were made for, uh, you're your happiest and you're your healthiest. When, you, when you're doing what you, God made you to do, what he made you for, what he made us for, and that's he made us for, he made us to worship. He made us to reflect his image. He made us in his likeness and he wanted to reflect his glory. And we, there no higher form of worship than what Jesus laid out for us. And this is the verse we've been kind of diving into for four weeks. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And I, I know for you today, probably the same is for me, is we get really stuck on a word that makes this really hard, all. That's a, that's a tall order. That's a big word when you think about loving God with all of our heart because it, it's my desire and I believe it's your desire, it's our desire to do this, but honestly, there's a gap between all and, and, and our desire and our actions. Our, our life doesn't always match up to what our heart is and what we, we, what we want it to be. It's a tall order. Um, you know, yes, we talked about a few weeks ago when we repent of our sins, uh, Jesus, he starts a new heart within us. He begins, our heart, be, our spiritual heart begins to beat and we begin to take on new life. And we begin to live at that point but why is it that we still then struggle with doubt and fear and anger and resentment and bitterness and jealousy and can be demeaning at times and even mean? Or am I the only one that struggles with this? Am I the only one that struggles between this tension of what we should be and, and what we are? And that there seems to be this gap. And so we, we have this desire. We want to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. But that all is a tall order. It's a big word. And there seems to be a gap. And I stumbled across, I like to listen to messages. And I stumbled across a message from a pastor in St. Louis. I never heard him before. But uh, his name was Ron Tucker. I don't know if all, he was, he gave a great message. I haven't really, don't know if I'll make him a steady diet or not, but it was just a, gave a great message. And he shared this, and I think this says it, says it best. He said, there is a grand canyon between our living condition and our spiritual condition. Spiritual growth is all about closing that gap. I believe that you're here this morning. I believe you're watching online. I want to welcome those joining online. I, I believe you're here this morning because we're trying to close that gap. Some of you are trying to close that gap between you and God. You, you may be tuning in for the first time, or this may be your first time here, and you're, you're trying to close a gap between you and God. You feel like there's a distance, but even the others that you have a relationship with Christ and a relationship with God, there's this gap between our spiritual condition and the way that we actually live. I believe you're in the right place today if it's your desire, and I believe it is. To, to close that gap, or what we will call, uh, you, know, you know, spiritual growth. I don't want you to be discouraged by that gap. 
I want to set the tone right away. I don't want us to be discouraged uh, by the gap that we may, may, we may feel at times. Um, every week is a week, uh, every Sunday, every, every day actually is, a, is an opportunity for us to close that gap. I think of a gap that I have in my life. If you get close enough to me, you may notice that I had this gap in my teeth. Now, it's not quite to the level of Michael Strahan, but it is a gap. And it's a gap that didn't have to be there because my mom and dad paid good money to have braces put on me. Um, but I thought I didn't need to wear my retainer. And so I was happy with it. And so, um, you know, I, I didn't wear the retainer. And, and, you know, it's not all lost. I mean, all the money wasn't thrown down the drain. These two teeth here, they used to be up in my brain. They pulled those down and got them. So, so at least they didn't go back up. But the, the, my teeth kind of shift and I have this gap. But it's, it's what I've used to instruct my daughters as a lesson to wear their retainers at night. And you mean I got to wear them the rest of your life? You want to have straight teeth? You got to wear them the rest of your life because they, they will shift back. And I think I have them scared to death. And then I saw, I saw over this holiday weekend, I saw the Reagan come out with her retainers on in the morning. She's loving me now. She's in a plane right now, so she's not even watching. But um, it, it, it's, a, it's something that she, they're able to learn from my mistakes. They're able to learn from the gaps that I've made in my life. And I think we're meant to learn from each other's gaps as well, too. We've heard stories. We've heard of people and things that they've gone through, and we can learn from their gaps, and I can learn from yours, and you can learn from the gaps in my life. So don't be discouraged by the gap because we're saved by grace through faith so that no one can boast. We're, it is grace that saves us through faith in Christ. It's not the works that we do. We can't earn salvation. We can't, we can't do enough. So there, there will always be that gap. And the good news is, is Jesus Christ spread out his arms on that cross and he closed that gap so that we could have a relationship with him. So the, 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 the relationship gap is no longer there. Christ has paid the price for us. That gap has been made. But there's a, there's a gap in our growth. And I want us to rejoice in, in, in that. Rejoice that you're a child of God today because of faith and grace. Rejoice today that even in your unfinished work, in the unfinished journey that you're on, rejoice in it. Rejoice in the fact that you're a work in progress, that God's not done with you, that the one who started a good work in, in you and me, he's going to be faithful to complete it. I loved when we did our remodel, we had signs around here that says, pardon our progress. And we just need to be reminded sometimes that on this side of heaven, we're human beings and we still fall short. And I'm so thankful that we can look at ourselves and say, pardon our progress. God is not done with me. We're a masterpiece in progress. He's, he's working on you. He's working on me to help us to become who he wants us to be. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. So rejoice in the fact that God loves you just the way that you are this morning but he loves you too much to leave you there. He has more for us. God wants to do so much more than save us from our sins. He doesn't want us just to survive. He wants us to thrive. Jesus said this, I have come that you may have life and life to the full, life abundantly. God wants us to have life. He died so that we could have life. So we've looked at this verse uh, love the Lord our God with all our heart, which is, we talked about our emotions. Love the Lord our God with all our mind, our thoughts, our thinking, uh, with all our strength, our physical bodies. Today we're looking at the soul. 
Loving God with all our soul. What is our soul? Last spring, our small group, our life group, did a study on the soul. And it was, it was good. It was done by a pastor in, in Seattle, Washington. You may have heard of him named Judas Smith. He's kind of a young, millennial, hip-looking guy, makes anything look good that he wears, kind of a hip kind of… But yet he had a great teaching that we kind of dove into, and it was entitled, How's Your Soul? How's Your Soul? And the main verse that we study was 3 John 2 verse 2 says, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. The most important thing for us in this life is that our souls prosper. Jesus said, don't, don't be afraid of the one, don't, to fear the one who, who has the power to, 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 to take, the, to take the, our, our life. Don't, I'm getting it all messed up. Help me here, somebody. I went off script. Uh, don't be afraid of the, the one, be afraid of the one who can take our soul and body. Uh, be afraid of, of a God who, 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 who's in charge of it all. True success is what happens inside, not outside. It's like the classic song, it is well with my soul. And the question for us this morning, how's your soul? So how is your soul? But before we can answer that question this morning, sometimes we have to ask, what is the soul? What, what is our soul this morning? I've heard different definitions. I've been looking up different definitions. One of the definitions of the soul was kind of our personality. I found that to be a little lacking and insufficient. Uh, another definition was where our desires originate from, where our desires come from. And I found that to be a little bit better. My favorite, though, was the definition of life. That our soul is life. Our soul is breath. It is what we studied last spring. Genesis 2, 7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Soul is translated into breath. We're, we're, we're the breath of God. We are the life of God. God has instilled and put in us his breath. The breath of life, God's breath. My soul is the breath of God. I like what Judas Smith uh, shared. He said, we are living on borrowed breath. Each of us is living on borrowed breath. We're, we're our, it's, it's our life. Love the Lord your God with all your breath or love the Lord your God with all your life. And yet the world is full of people who claim to love God and yet their lives don't back up that love. And I'm one of those. I don't know if I'm the only one in this room, but my life doesn't always match up to my intent and my, and my, and my love and my heart and my desire. So how, how do we, well, I think it's about bridging that gap. It's about narrowing that gap. It's about growing spiritually. We're saved by grace through faith. That, that is God's plan of salvation, his forgiveness. But then when, when someone does something great for you, when someone gives their life for you, the, at minimum, we can give our life for him. So to, to give our life to him, to give our soul to him, we don't want our, just our souls to be saved. We want our souls to be well, to be healthy. And we want to move closer and closer to God. We want to be as the psalmist says, Psalm 103.1, I love this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. 
and all that is within me, bless his holy name. That's what we were created for. What people long for, whether they know it or not, is for their soul to be well. I believe this with all my heart. I believe every person on the face of this earth, whether they know it or not, they're seeking for their soul to be well. They want their soul to be healthy, to be well. I've seen many times through my 20 plus years of ministry, and I grew up in a pastor's home, so I saw this growing up as well too. I've seen this so many times. People come into the church for the first time, and, and the music or something has taken place in the song, and tears begin to just stream down the face. I've had people come up to me after the, their first Sunday before and say, I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know what, it, what, what happened, but I found myself emotional. I found myself, tears were coming. I know what it is. You know what it is. It's that longing of our soul. And we kind of studied in the, our life group last year, it was, it's, it's the longing for our soul to be home. Everyone's longing for their soul to be home. And I, I hope you'll come to Christmas Eve because I want to share a, a special message about a special place, home for Christmas. And I hope you'll be there. But I believe it's a longing for our soul to be home. Healthy, healthy is growing and loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And of course, loving our neighbors ourselves. So how can we grow from in worshiping God? How can we narrow this gap? How can we grow in loving God with all of our soul, with all of our life, with all of our breath? Are there some practical steps that we can take to narrow this gap? I believe there is. And today I'm going to share with you something that came from a different context, and maybe some of you went through a course like this, but it's the five love languages. Anybody familiar with the five love languages and, and Gary Chapman? Yeah, several of you are, and so Heather and I, we're familiar with that. We've been, we've been through that, took a course with it. You might have the book on your shelf, but his five love languages are, are really, it's how to express heartfelt commitment to your spouse, and it's these five things. One is words of affirmation or praise and adoration. Uh, the second love language is quality time. This is actually, I believe, Heather's number one thing. And three hours this afternoon watching the Broncos is not quality time, according to her. Uh, but quality time. The, the third love language is receiving gifts. Um, because when you receive or give gifts, there's, there's thought that goes into it. There's sacrifice that takes place. I mean, when someone gives you something, they, they took time to think about it. That's what makes Christmas so special. Uh, another love language is acts of service. This is one of my favorite. I think this is my love language. Is, is I, I was talking about it and sharing a little bit about the message with my daughters before they left. And I just said, you know, when I'm sick and I'm not feeling well, I'm, I, I just, I'm, I admit I'm a baby. <laughs> Heather is tough. I mean, she is strong and, and, and you don't need to do much for her. She just, she just, She's just stronger. A lot of ladies are stronger in this way. Us guys, I th just speak for myself, I'm a baby when I get sick. And I love to be waited on. I shared it. When I get sick, I love for, you know, people to wait on me. I love for you guys to wait on me. And Reagan spoke up and said, you like that all the time. <laughs> Not just when you're sick. You like to be waited on all the time. And then the, fi the, the fifth one is physical touch. That's holding hands, hugs, kisses. You know what physical touch is. If we were to apply these five th same things to God, I, I believe these apply to him. We're made in his image. We're, we're made in his likeness. He created us. He formed us. I believe this, 
this speaks to God, this, these love language. One, first of all, words of affirmation. Scripture says God inhabits the praise of his people. He loves it when we praise him. I believe he loves it when we corporately praise him, privately praise him, but he inhabits the praise of his people. His presence is close when his people are praising him and adoring him. Think about it. What, is, what words do your spouse, of your spouse, do you appreciate the most? Or maybe for our young people, our kids, what, what do you appreciate your, your parents saying to you the most? Or parents, what do you appreciate your kids saying to you the most? I'll give you three options. The first is words of praise, thanks, and adoration. Like to hear those words. Or two, words of making lists of things to do or chores. Or three, words of criticism and complaints. Which ones do we like to hear? It's a no-brainer. We like to hear praise. We like to hear adoration. We like to, we like to hear gratitude. And I believe the same is true for God. Oh, God can handle our lists, and he wants us to bring our lists to him. God can handle our complaints and criticism. He has big shoulders. Our God is a big God. But I believe God loves to hear the praise of his people and loves to hear our hearts worship and praise him too. What about quality time with God? Quality time, if, if we were to give that to him, what is quality time? I know, I know they went through that time 20, 30 years ago in a study, and, or they were tra- talking about we didn't have enough quantity time, so just make sure that it's quality time. What a bunch of baloney. Quality time is quantity time. Quality time takes time. That's what quality time is. It takes time. It's, it's not just a few minutes of quality, but quality takes effort, commitment, planning, And quality time with God takes planning. And if you don't have a plan to to have quality time with God, that is your plan. It takes time and effort and planning. But any plan, I would say, is better than no plan at all. To start somewhere, to narrow that gap, to start five minutes a day or ten minutes a day or whatever it may be to, to, to make your time with God. For Heather and I, you'd think that a pastor and his wife, because they're perfect and we're not, you would think that we'd have our act all together. We had our, our children's, we had our devotions with our family and stuff, but as they got older and they went to bed later than we did, we kind of got out of the practice of having devotions together. And we, know we had our own time and things, but um, we just, but last year when I got hit with COVID, it, it was in that season and time that we really connected with God with one another. And we have to do it early. We've got to set it, you know, before she leaves. And so it's 5.30 in the morning for us. And it's not perfect. We miss days. It's not like we hit every single day. But it's kind of like eating. You ever missed a meal? Did you quit when you missed a meal? No, you doubled up. <laughs> you, you, you doubled up at the next one. And, and so to find that time, to spend that quality time with God and find ways to do that. The third is receiving gifts. I want to be clear about this one. As we think about giving to God, to be clear, God does not need our gifts. He does not need our resources. He does not need our money. He does not need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hillsides. Everything is his. He made it all. It's all his to begin with. But giving is an act that shows thoughtfulness, and it involves sacrifice. Gifts that are thoughtful and sacrificial gives value to the receiver. 
And giving is a biblical principle. It was long before the, the law. It was Melchizedek, uh, the king of Salem. Abraham gave a tenth to him. That was before the law. The law of Moses came along, and we have these words. And the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. I, the Lord, is a holy, is a holy God. Jesus affirmed the tithe and raise the bar. Sometimes people think, well, New Testament kind of did away with that. No, Jesus didn't do away with giving. He raised the bar. He said to the Pharisees, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former, saying basically do both, but don't, don't give if you're going to do it without mercy. Don't give if you're not going to give without a heart. Don't give if you don't care about justice in this world. Don't give if it's not about mercy, justice, and faithfulness. Heartless giving is worthless to God. So I want to share three things this morning that giving does to grow you spiritually and make you more like Jesus, to close that gap a little bit. One, it breaks the grip of greed in my life. Giving breaks the grip of greed in my life. It fights against my selfishness. When I give, it takes my hands from clenched fists and opens them up. It, it makes it makes me less holding tight onto the things of this world. Number two, it it breaks the grip of fear in my life. Giving leads us to trust in God and not ourselves. I don't know why we're so scared to death in America that God is going to ask us ask us to give something away. But we are. We're afraid he's going to ask too much of us. And when I give, I fight back my enemy of fear and trust in God. And I fight against the scarcity mentality. When inflation's going and everything else, we can, we can buy into the things of this world. But do we believe that God loves us, that he, that he takes care of us? Do we believe that his jobs he's provided us with? I think when my girls were little and they had the bag of M&Ms, you probably experienced the same thing. They had the M&Ms or the Skittles and you would ask for an M&M or you'd ask for a Skittle and they would give you one and you would ask for another and you would see the jaws and the clenched fist getting a little bit tighter and then you would ask for another and, and it just it got worse. And finally, it's like, no, it's mine. This, this is, and we know we could buy a million bags of Skittles for them, a million bags of M&Ms for them. And that's the same with our Heavenly Father. He, he knows what we need. And when we, we, we break the, the grip of fear in our life when we give, and finally, it pulls, it puts God first place in my life. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Strengthening, um, sacrificial giving strengthens our spiritual muscles. It makes us stronger. Your faith can't grow and strengthen if it's not stretched. Just like your bodies can't grow and strengthen if you don't stretch them. I'm not talking about eating at the Thanksgiving table. I mean, that's a different kind of stretching. I was worried about this suit this week because I purchased it pre-Thanksgiving meal. Uh, but... I'm talking about the lifting weights, running a little farther to strengthen us. If we don't do those things, it doesn't strengthen us. I mean, we don't lift a pen or a pencil and call it weightlifting. 
It, it, it involves something more than that. It, it, involves, it involves stretching us. You don't pick up a pencil. I already said that. You can think of places. Here's, here's how you know that giving is sacrificial. You miss it. Is that truth? Man, I'm struggling with any amens or anything like that. I know we're not expressive. This is like, can we move on to the next point, Pastor? Not till I'm finished with this one. It, why, how do we know if something is sacrificial? Because we miss it. We can think of things that we could spend that on on ourselves. And I'm not going to sit up here and lie to you as a pastor and say, I've never thought where I couldn't maybe have spent my money when I've given to the church, when I've tithed. And, and maybe you add up to those years, you think you could do this and do that. It, it, it costs, there is, there, is, there is a cost to it. Jesus sat down opposite where the place the offerings were. And he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins with only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of their poverty, put in everything all that she had to live on. Love isn't expressed in the size of the gift. It's expressed in the size of the heart. It's expressed in the size of the sacrifice. The fourth expression of love, acts of service. And I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on the fourth way that we can express our love to God in, in serving, because Pastor Brandon knocked it out of the park last week. I thought he did a great job uh, of sharing personally. If you didn't get a chance to see it, you can go back and watch online, hutchfirstnaz.org. You can watch online. And his personal testimony, really, of how serving changed his life and how serving has kept him in the church and how serving has made him uh, closer and growing him in his faith and relationship with God. But I will say this, in everything you do, do it all to the glory of God. I believe this with all my heart. Christians should be the best workers at their workplace. They should be the best bosses in their workplace. People should say, I want to work for that. He's a, man, he's a great Christian man. Or, or the person, man, I, you just know you're going to get a great effort from this employee. And it should be tied to, I think Christians should be the best at serving others. And not just in our workplaces, but we should be the best at serving our spouses. We should be the best at serving our kids. Kids, we should be the best at serving our, 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 our parents and, our, and one another. And finally, physical touch. We can't physically touch God. I know that. But we have an invisible God. Yes, he was here, and we celebrate Christmas when he came in the flesh, God in the body, and we got to experience what it was to have. He, he knew, he experienced everything that we have. But we know when he left, he gave us his Holy Spirit. He didn't leave us as orphans, but we can't see the Holy Spirit. We can't see the physical God. We can't touch him. But Scripture defines Christ as the head and his body as the church. We are the body of Christ. So when we serve one another, when we give to one another, when, when we fellowship with one another, Jesus said, if you've done it unto the least of me, you've done it to me. When we're out serving others in our community, when we're helping and being for people that are, that, are, that are far from God, we are doing it as if we're doing it to God. God says, you're doing it to me. When you do it for others, you're doing it for me. 
That's how we physically love God is how we love one another, which is the second part of that commandment, to love each other and love one another as ourselves. Praising God privately. Or the five steps, praising God privately. Making a plan, quiet time with God each day. Taking steps towards generosity and giving. Maybe it's, maybe it's starting out at 2% of your income or 3%. Maybe it's, and one of our goals of the Christmas offering is that everyone would participate, that it would be an all skate. You remember all skates? Some of us that were in the 80s and 90s when we went to skating rings, and, uh, you know, they had the couple skates. I never got to do the couple skates. There was never any girl that wanted to skate with me. But then there was the all skate, and everyone was invited out uh, to, the, to the, the skating ring and, and, to, and, to, and to roll around. This is an all-skate. We're encouraging everyone to contribute in some way to the Christmas offering. Four, by serving inside and outside the church. We want you to serve in the church, but equally important, we want you to serve outside the church. You don't need our permission to serve others. You don't need the church. You are the church. When you leave this building, this is just a building. You're the church. Which leads to the last thing, the physical body. When, when we is engaging with his body, is engaging with the church. That is his body, the body of Christ. This morning, we're going to receive communion. And on your end of your rows, there's uh, the communion elements. You can pass it. I know these things are a little bit tricky and a little bit difficult. If you're new with us today, apologize. We've kind of been doing this since covid but it's kind of hard to, we're going to give you a whole song to figure it out. <laughs> but you just pull back this little part and the wafer comes out and then you pull the second part back. But it takes you a little bit. If your wife has nails, it's very helpful. Um, but I want you to know if you're here for the first time and if you're watching online, you don't need to have exactly what we're having. You can get some juice out of the refrigerator. You can get some bread out of the pantry. Communion was a simple act, not meant to be complicated, to remind us of what Jesus did for us, to remind us of how he loved us. And I think of all these five things Jesus, he's done for us. He's lifted us up. He's honored us. He's, he's spent quality time with us by coming to earth in the form of the flesh. He's given everything he has to us so we may have life in his name. He died for the church, his body. Whenever we receive this, Jesus said, whenever you receive it, do this in remembrance of me. That's what it is. It's a statement of faith that we're remembering Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross and what he did for us. It's a symbol of his love for us. And today as we get ready to receive communion, I just want to finish with the question we started with. How's your soul? How's your soul this morning? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, it's a tall order. And we all fall short. It's why we really celebrate the sacrament of communion because it reminds us that Jesus filled in the gap for us. And the greatest gap that we have is not to have a relationship with him. So I don't know if I'm talking to someone online 
or if I'm talking to someone in this room, but I'm asking you how your soul is today. And every soul is meant to be home. And to be home is to be home with Jesus, is to have your heart right with Jesus. And and the only way your soul is going to be at home with Jesus is for you to receive his love, to receive his forgiveness, to receive his grace, to invite him into your heart and your life, to ask him to be your Savior and your Lord. That's the beginning of our soul being home. Everything we've been talking today is about growing that relationship and growing closer to him, but it has nothing to do with how he saves us. We can't do that. We can't do enough good. We can't give enough money. We can't do enough good deeds. We can't serve enough people. There's nothing we can do to earn God's love and forgiveness. That gap is way too large. It's way too, way too big. But Jesus on the cross filled in that gap for us. And that's why we celebrate communion. That his broken body, his shed blood is meant for the forgiveness of our sins. This morning I asked the worship team, I gave a special, I don't do this often, but I ask a special request. And I asked us that we would sing it as well with my soul to close with today. Some of you are familiar with this, maybe a lot of you in this room today, but Horatio Spafford is the one that wrote this song. He was more than just a songwriter. He was a Chicago lawyer. And back in 1871, he experienced a horrific tragedy in his life when the great Chicago fire uh, burned down his home and business. Took more than that, it took his son's life, his four-year-old son. It did leave him with four daughters and his wife. But two years later, his business folded. Everything had fallen apart in the physical world. And he sent his wife and his four daughters on to England. He was supposed to go with them, but he had some loose ends to tie up with his business. And so he sent them on ahead. And as they went across the Atlantic, a tragedy happened again and their ship sank. And he received this telegram from his wife. Saved alone. His four daughters had perished. Now he'd lost all of his children, his four daughters, his son. So he began to make way and he got on a ship himself to go over to England to join his wife in her grieving. But he asked the captain of the ship, when we get to that place where the ship went down, where my daughters perished, would you let me know where that place is? Would you let me know when we get there? And when they got to that place, this is the song he wrote that we all know so famously well. It is well with my soul. A decision that was made, not a feeling, because his heart was broken. And for our souls to be well and right, it's, it's a decision to receive God's love and grace and to trust him no matter what situation we're in, whether we're on the mountaintop or the valley. The, the first is, though, the, though peace like a river attendeth my way. But the second part, though sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. These verses and stanzas that we're gonna sing are meant for to be a testimony for us no matter what we're going through in this life right now. Whether we're on the mountaintop, 
or whether we're in the darkest valley, it's to trust Jesus Christ with our soul. Do you pray with me? Father God, as we sing this song, Lord, words that were so poignant, God-inspired, written in the greatest tragedy of grief and sorrow, but a testimony to us that, Lord, we can trust you. And Lord, I think today of Horatio Spafford and his wife, how all is well today as they're in the presence of God, as they're in your presence. And we're gonna sing a verse about that, Lord, the, the, the day that we look forward to because of what you did for us. So Lord, whether my friends are on the mountaintop today or whether my friends here in this room are watching online or in the deepest valley, Lord, would you bring healing and health to their soul by us trusting and putting our faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.